0: I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 25 and a couple of verses into chapter 5 uh, of the book of Ephesians. Uh, This is um, sort of the disconnected third sermon in the family series that began on Mother's Day. Uh, Family Life is Messy was the name of the series and you remember that uh, Hannah did a wonderful job of preaching the first sermon, Making Blended Families Work, that was Mother's Day and then on May 19th. Hannah and I did a team sermon on who wins the arguments at your house. That was interesting. Uh, And then uh, this sermon, uh, The Art of Miscommunication, dealing with family life, family life being messy, was supposed to have been preached May 26th, but then Big Bertha came on May 22nd. Uh, They name hurricanes, we should have the right to name tornadoes. I've named this tornado Big Bertha. And Big Bertha came, and uh, we felt led to preach a different theme. And uh, so we are back to this final sermon in the series as we think about the messiness of family life and God's instruction, not just for the home, but for every kind of relationship. So I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25, and uh, into chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And I invite you, if you're able to stand as God's word comes among us, and follow along silently as as uh, we hear scripture so then putting away falsehood let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors for we are members of one another be angry but do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil thieves must give up stealing rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to make something to share to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice and be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as god in christ has forgiven you therefore be imitators of god as beloved children and live in love as christ loved us and gave himself himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Tom and Sally were uh, attending their first ever marriage enrichment weekend. They were excited. The very first session, the speaker was talking about the importance of communication. And then he paused and he said, You know, you men probably uh, need to learn to listen better because I, I doubt there's any man here who can tell me the name of his wife's favorite flower. At that point, Tom leaned over to Sally confidently and said, it's Pillsbury whole wheat, right? (laughs) The rest of the weekend didn't go well either. (laughs) Communication is at the heart of all healthy relationships. Whether the relationship is between husband and wife, parent and child, among siblings, uh, in Christ's church, at work, there simply cannot be healthy relationships without healthy communication. And that's why the Apostle Paul was very intent on giving to the body of Christ some warnings in this passage of Scripture. And one of them we know fairly well, verse 26, Be angry, but do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That is to say, anger is not a sin. Anger is an honest response of an emotion. It's what we do with the anger. Paul says, don't, don't coddle it, don't baby it, don't keep it, just get rid of it. Don't, don't let it seethe there. You know, it's a lot like the egg yolk that sticks to the plates and to the skillet. If you, if you let it sit overnight, it just sets up. And does it get any easier to clean it? gets more difficult, doesn't it? And so the Apostle Paul said, just wash it off every night. Don't, don't go to bed and let that stuff brood and build because that gives place to the devil. That, that's just basic communication. Deal with it. Deal with it up front. He gives another word of warning, a little more complex. and Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, verse 29. But only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. What great communication, counsel, and warning to us. Uh, by the way, that, that word, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, that word evil in the Greek is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 and 18, where He talks about bad fruit. He talks about, by the fruits you shall know them, good fruit and bad fruit. Bad fruit is the fruit that is rotten, it's the fruit that is useless. It's the fruit that, is, that stinks. And so Paul says there are words that are rotten. There are words that are useless. They don't serve a purpose. And they stink. They stink up relationships. We have to remember in a culture that is just awash in all kinds of online communication, that whether in person or online, words matter. Words take on life. You know, when I was a little boy um, and I would come home from school and my feelings hurt because somebody on the school bus or somebody at school said something that hurt my feelings, mom would say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. My mom was right on almost everything. But mom was wrong about that. Because there were times when I could have wished that somebody had hit me with a stick and it would have hurt less than that word hurt. Words matter. Words take on life. And the Apostle Paul knew that words have a way of infecting and destroying relationships or blessing and building relationships. Uh, there are three questions I'd like for you to ask when you deal with that that verse. Uh, Do my words build up others or tear them down? That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up. So ask yourself this question before you speak. Do these words build up or do they tear down? Do they strengthen or do they destroy? There's a book that the pastors and I use for premarital counseling uh, And uh, the authors talk about a distinction between um, complaining and criticizing. They're thinking particularly about a a married couple, but it can be in any relationship. The difference between complaint and criticism. Complaint is that more measured uh, response to a person that deals with that person's action or behavior. And complaint uses I language. I felt uncomfortable when you did this, or I feel disrespected when you say that. That's a complaint about a specific thing, and it uses I language. But instead of complaint, the more dangerous and deadly that people often live in is the criticism, because criticism attacks the person, attacks the character, attacks the very worth of that other person, and it uses you language. Uh, It's the language of accusation. It's the language of blaming. It's the language of attacking. You make me sick. You're not worthy to be in this church because of X, Y, and Z. It attacks the worth and the value of the other person. So the first question to ask is, do those words of mine build up? Second question is, do my words meet a specific particular need? You know, something can be true and it still doesn't have to be said. Uh, There was a wise lady early in my ministry, her name was Mary, and uh, I remember we were talking about this passage of Scripture and the whole concept of relationships, and she said, I have a simple motto, always tell the truth, but don't be always telling it. Right? Isn't that, hey, Tony, you got that one, didn't you, buddy? You're with me, aren't you? The, the always telling the truth, but don't be always telling it, because earlier in verse 15 of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, speak the truth in love. Some of us get the truth part better than the love part. And so, is it, is it necessary? Does it need to be spoken? And then the third one is, do my words connect people to God's smile? Do my words connect people to God's grace and God's blessing? Another way to say that is, do my words make it easier for people to believe that God loves them? Do my words make it easier for people to believe that they are people of worth and value, not based on what they can do or perform or not do, but based on simply that they are and they are loved by God, that God smiles on them and blesses them? And so Paul wraps up that particular section with, with a, a, a verse 31, and, I've, and I'm going to put that on the screen from the Common English Bible, a relatively new translation. Put aside all bitterness, losing your temper, anger, shouting, slander. He just sort of wraps it all up. And here's an amazing thought in all of this, he says that people are not the only ones hurt by destructive words. God's also hurt by our destructive words because right after He talks about words that build up, He says, And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, which has been given to you. Isn't that interesting? That the third person of the Trinity is timid and shy and doesn't want to hang around abusive language. That the third person of the Trinity never forcing herself on anyone, hovers near where there is uh, harmony and where there are beautiful words and affirming and words of blessing, but the Holy Spirit is grieved. The Holy Spirit is wounded when our words become harsh. This passage of Scripture, as I've said from the beginning, is a passage of Scripture that is valuable for all relationships about communication, church, parent-child, sibling, friends, work, everywhere. But to, I, want to say a, I want to say a word particularly to married people this morning. Uh, I'm asked sometimes, what's the, what's the most challenging phase of a marriage? What's the most challenging season of, of married love? I mean, you read magazine articles about it. You read blogs about it. uh, You see movies about it. And here's my response to that. The most challenging part of a marriage is the part you're in right now. The most challenging season you are in is the season you are in now because you can never let down your guard. You can never stop working at communication. It takes constant clearing away of the rubble it takes constant weeding of the garden, it takes constant recalibrating, and you can never coast and never say, we've arrived, because as soon as you do, you stop communicating. Once upon a time, there was a couple who checked in for their week's vacation at this resort. Uh, They got all the paperwork done. They drove to their cottage following the map. They were excited. They took out their luggage. They, they came to their home for the week and they were exploring and looking around. One of them was looking out one window. The other was looking out the other. And they sort of shouted across the house to one another, hey, how, how about before dinner, uh, we go outside and get some exercise? And the other one said, great. And they both headed for the bedroom, opened their suitcases. And one of them grabbed a swimsuit and the other one grabbed biking clothes. Which one was wrong? Neither one was wrong. They were looking out different windows. He was looking out the window that saw a biking trail. She was looking out a window that saw a swimming pool. The same words meant different things to them because they were looking out different windows. And the art of communication is to have the mind of Christ to where we not only hear the words of the other person, but we also take into account the window out of which they're looking. Because if we can not only hear their words, but see the window that they're looking out of, we will begin to hear what they're saying. Now, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that Christ lived and died in order to communicate God to us. Isn't that what he says? He says, love one another as God in Christ has loved you, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. God is so passionate to clearly communicate with us that we are loved, that He is not some angry tyrant up in the sky, that He's not a God who expects us to earn our way to heaven, that He's a God who's willing to forgive when we repent, He's a God who loves us, He's a God full of grace and mercy. God is so passionate to communicate with us clearly that John's Gospel, chapter 1, calls Jesus the Word. Jesus is called the Word. That's how passionate God is to communicate with us. And everything that Jesus was on earth and in His death on the cross and in His resurrection was to communicate clearly to us. And so here's the question. If God goes to so much trouble to daily... Clear the barriers and the rubble to communicate with you that you are loved. How can we do any less than constantly work at the business of communicating with God and one another? That's our calling. That's what it means to be Jesus' people. To work at communication as passionately as God does.